something that a man by the name of Benjamin Franklin said about certainty. He said, in this world, nothing is certain but death and taxes. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. Benjamin Franklin. He said this in 1789. But that's only half the quote that he gave. I want to give you the full quote of what he said. And you will see that what he said back then is being challenged right now in America. So he was right in saying this when he said, there is nothing more certain than death and taxes. I might put a question mark around taxes, but there's nothing certain, more certain than death. But if you know your Bible, you might say there's a question mark around that as well. Because I don't know whether this man believed in the rapture, but I do. So if the rapture happens, then there is a question mark around death, isn't there? Anyway, I'll let you think about that. But this is the full quote. When they asked this man, Benjamin Franklin, about the Constitution, he said these words. He said, our new Constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. The biggest attack in America now is against the Constitution. 
And one of the big things about this constitution I'm talking about, although I'm a South African-born Kiwi and we're living in Australia, you say, so what does that mean to us? That constitution was founded on the Word of God. And that's been challenged today. And this man was right in his quote when he said that this constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency, but in this world nothing can be said to be certain. Is that true? It is true. And then he said, except death and taxes. That's the two things that Benjamin Franklin believed is certain. Now I want to say that this is a poor state to be in if that is the only things that you think you have as a certainty, isn't it? That's a poor state to be in. If you think about the only thing that I'm thinking about every single day of my life is death and taxes. That is the certain things in life. That's very poor. Now, nobody says that, of course, that Benjamin Franklin must have, hasn't had other certainties. He must have had other certainties. But in that particular framework, in context, when he spoke about something which they thought was going to last forever, those are the two things that he measured up against it. Against it. Now, we as Christians know that there are way more things that we can be certain of. Do you? Can you think of a few as I just say those words out loud? We have so much more certainties than just death and taxes. Come on, people. There are so many things that we can hold on. And there are so many things. If you think about the word certainty, that we can say, we know. That brings the word certainty into play. We know, I know for certain that this is going to happen. I know for certain this. We know as Christians a lot of things which gives us more certainties than that. So I want to start a series today, or just a few Sundays, talking about the we know of a Christian. This is part one today. And in fact, this is just going to be a summarization of the, the first letters of John. So as we come to the last chapter, there's a few things that we know John is going to say. In fact, when we look at these words we know, John uses we know 38 times in this letter. And he uses that phrase more than any other writer in the New Testament. We know for certain. So Benjamin Franklin might have two things that he's certain of, which is death and taxes. No, no, John says there's so many more things that you and I as children of God, born again children of God, know for fact. In the last chapter, which I want to use for the series, eight times he uses these words, we know. So what is it that we know, John? What is it that you bring to our attention as children of God that we should know. First of all, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, he says, By this we know, what John, that we love the children of God. By this we know that we love the... Where's the children of God? Can the children of God put up their hands? Everybody should have their hands on. Because if you're not a child of God, you're a child of who? Satan, the world, the sons of disobedience. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. There's something you can know. There's a certainty, he says. How do I test it? By knowing these things. He says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. What? That we may know what? This. This is a very critical thing for a child of God. That we may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. If you go to so many churches today and you talk to so many Christians, children in the church, and you say, do you know that when you die you have eternal life? A lot of them will say, I don't know. You see, but... John gives it to us as a certainty. He says, I give this to you, I write this to you, that if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you have eternal life. 
But behind that belief, there's a whole big teaching that we need to understand. You come to the cross of Christ and you are saved by the blood of the Lamb. This, he says, we can know for certain. Yet there is so many people who are uncertain about it. They might say, no, or I don't know. And then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 15, he says, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we've asked of Him. What did He say? What, what does this mean? If we know that He hears us. What does that point to? Prayer. There's another certainty for a child of God. Can you see why Benjamin Franklin, when, he, when you take that context or that phrase out of context, it looks so poor. Can you see why I say it's a bad state to be in if those are the only two things you are certain of? We are so certain of so many more things as children of God. Here he says if we are certain that when we pray, what happens? God hears us. Now I know some of you is going to say, but it feels to me sometimes when I pray, my prayers hit the ceiling. It feels to you like that. Because you are based on a feeling, but for God it's a fact that if a child of God, if you cry out to God, He will hear you. You say, wait a minute, what if, I, uh, what if I'm doing sin? What if I am a child of God because children of God can still sin? Do you believe that? We're not perfect, okay? But what if I break that fellowship and I pray to God, does He still hear you? Yes, He does. But He might choose not to reach out His, hand, His arm to help you. You say, where do you get that? Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says that the Lord's arm is not too short and His ear is not deaf to help you. And then He says in verse 2, but, what does that mean? A sharp contrast. You see, here is God. He wants to help you. You pray to Him. But, there is something that stops us. What is it according to Isaiah 59 verse 2? He says, but your iniquities. What is iniquities? Your sins has done what? It's built a wall between you and God. Not from God's side, but from your side. You see, there it is. There is a certainty though, that when we pray according to John in 1.15, we know what? That He hears us. How wonderful is that? Isn't it beautiful? Sometimes when you talk to your wife, your husband, or your children, you don't know whether they hear you. Or let me put it this way. They might hear you, but they might not listen. And that's when you go out and you say, did you hear me? And you have to now respond to that and say, yes, <laughs> I've heard you. But did you hear me the first time? You see, God operates different than us. He hears us the first time. And here is another thing that we know, he says. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God, what do we know about a person like that? He says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, does that mean sinless perfection? By far not. Now, in this series, I'm going to take these notes, break it out into four or five messages, and we'll go deeper into that. Is that okay? I was going to do it anyway. But I'm just checking. Okay, there's a few heads that are shaking. He says, we know that he does not sin, but he who has been born of God, what does he do? keeps himself. What does it mean when he keeps himself? He disciplines himself according to the word and the wicked one does not touch him. This is a certainty. And we'll see once we unpack it. What happens when you sin? The wicked one touches you. You give him territory in your life and he operates in that. But if you discipline that out, if you do not allow that to happen in your lives, he can't touch you. Uh, somebody explained it to me once. He says, we all like fishing, don't we? And what do you do? You put some, some uh, bait on a hook and you throw it in. And once you grab a hold of that fish, he can't go anywhere as long as the hook is in, in his mouth. He can't go anywhere. He's got to go. You can give him a little bit of rope. And what happens? The fish swims and he swims and he goes, I've got a little bit of freedom. Woohoo! There I go. And then every now and then, what do you do? You just reel it in a bit. 
And then it pulls into this direction. And then a little bit of freedom. In the end, you catch the fish. The fish becomes tired of fighting against this. You see, Satan sits there sometimes with a little hook. Or let me not say Satan. Sin sits there with a little hook in your life. And you know what he does? He just lets you go around a little bit and then he pulls you in. And then you go around a little and he pulls you in. Okay, so this is what he says. We know for certain a child of God who keeps him, the wicked one, do not have these hooks in you. And we'll look into that. 1 John chapter 55 verse 19. We know that we are of God. That's a certainty, according to John. You know that you are of God. Now the question could be, how do we know this? He says, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Do you, we know this? This is a certainty. And then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come. Who knows that? Can you show me? You have to believe this. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. This is what we have. Understanding through whom? In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning... Or in all the times, not in the beginning, in times past, he says, God spoke to the people through whom? Through prophets. But now he speaks through his son, through Jesus Christ. We know this. This is what we have. This is a certainty. All the books in the world is pale in comparison to the world. In fact, let me correct myself. You cannot compare all the books in the world written by the most brilliant brains in the world to the Word of God. This is a fact. It's proven over time, but I don't need the proof of time. I need the proof of God, and it's a fact. That the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Why did He give us understanding? That we may know Him who is true. Do you know Him? Come on, we need to ask ourselves these questions. Do you know Him as being true? And we are in Him who is true and in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. That's good to know, isn't it? We live in an age of know it. You talk to some teenagers and you tell them something and what do they say? Come on, you tell me. You say, watch out for that, and what do they say? I know. <laughs> and then you go to them and you say, why do we have Google if you know everything? I know, I know. But when it comes to the Word of God and you go to children of God and you say, do you know? They say, no, I don't. Or maybe, or perhaps... We don't operate like that. Let us not become like Benjamin Franklin. And again, I use this, his quote out of context, but I want to make a point. Let us not come to the point of living so poorly that there's only a few things that the world gives us that we are certain about. Death and taxes and... No, no. Let us come to a point where you and I live in the kingdom of God, where you and I live in the love of God, where we live in the body of God, and we know for certain these things that John tells us. Now, John won't wrote, write that to us if he wasn't certain about it. Would he? So this is you and my challenge. Why do you come to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? I'll tell you why. Paul says to grow into the perfect man equipped for everything in God's work. That's why. And this is why he writes to us these things that he knows so that we may know. The, the one that we're going to look into today is, is a certainty that we need to stand on and build our life. And that is Jesus is the Christ. Do you know this? Is this a certainty in your life? This is one of the things that John writes to you and me and he says, we know this, that Jesus is the Christ. This is more certain to me than death. Although death is so much certain, isn't it? I mean, we're preaching in a place of death, yes. But we preach life. And here is, he says, Jesus is the Christ. We find it in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
and everyone who loves him who begets also loves him who has been born of him this is critical to know for a child of god this is the essence of our faith this is the bedrock this is the cornerstone if you do not understand and know this then you need to study your Bible, you need to pray for the Holy Spirit to open up your understanding, to know that Jesus is the Christ. Without this, we do not have a Christian faith. Without this, we do not have a church. Without this, you do not have life. Without this, you do not have light. Without this, you do not have love. Without this, the whole world will go astray. And the world is going astray because they are rejecting this Jesus who is Christ. This is the problem of the world. This is the, this, is the, this is the peace in the Middle East. This is the peace in your household. Jesus Christ, Him the cornerstone. It is so important for John that he writes this down. He brings it to us. And you know what is so wonderful about it? He is so certain about Jesus Christ. He's met Him. And he writes to us that we need to know that Jesus is the Christ. So much so that even Paul writes this. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, this is Paul writing. He says, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or with wisdom declaring to you the testimonies of God. And I say it, and I will say it all over again. There are way more clever people than me. These professors who study the Word and who can come in here and tell you everything that they've read in a book and read it and taught it like a book. And they can do it with more excellence of speech than I can. Or that Paul can. And Paul could have done this. But he says these wonderful words. He says, For I determine not to know anything among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Don't tell me anything about anything else. But if Jesus Christ is not the king of your house, your house will fall apart. If Jesus Christ is not the king of your life, your life will fall apart. And this is what we need to know. And friends, let me just explain to you why. It might sound to you as if I'm repeating myself Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It's because we are growing up in a generation who do not know Jesus Christ. We are growing up in that generation right now where they don't even know what the Bible is. Which is the Word of God. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching some? Why are you repeating it? So that you and I become that message to the world that we carry within us. We carry within as Jesus Christ to the world. That is what we do. His Spirit is living in us. But friends, if you and I carry Jesus Christ, who we don't even know to the world, what are we carrying into the world? We're carrying pitchers without water to the world who is thirsty. They will come and they will see the promise, but once you show them the pitcher, there's the disappointment of being nothing. Let us not be nothing in our lives. You can achieve any high thing in your life, but if you haven't achieved Jesus Christ, you've had nothing. It is a pitcher without water. It is clouds without rain. It is so important to these men. So important. And you would say, but how do we know that Jesus Christ is God? How do we know? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? People ask you that, how do you know? And people have got so many views and things about Jesus Christ. I mean, even in biblical times, when Jesus was dead and he was, he was in, in the tomb, they came to Pilate in Matthew, there in Matthew 27, verse 63, and they said that he was a deceiver. He was a liar. This is what they said about Jesus. Now, if you're standing around there and you're in earshot of what they say, and you haven't met Jesus, and you don't know Jesus, then when, if somebody says he's a liar, you might put some kind of truth into that, wouldn't you? Because you don't know him. They said he's a deceiver. Not only that, they said that he was a rebel. They say that he wanted to build his own kingdom and overthrow the Romans and all of these things they say about Jesus. But what's the world saying about Jesus today? 
Today there are so many falsities in the world about Jesus Christ. Even some cheap churches preach Him. Some say He's just a mere man. But when John wrote this to the church in his day, you and I need to understand what happened. Why did he write this? Why was he repeating himself so many times as I do, just preaching through his letter? It's because, friends, there was a false teaching back then, which is evident today as well in the world. And that is that when Jesus Christ came, he was just a normal man born of Mary. And then, when he was baptized, the Jesus Spirit, or the God Spirit, came into him. And that's when he started operating. So he was just a normal man, he wasn't God born with us. All of that is just a figment of the imagination. You've got to take it with a grain of salt. When they say when he was born. Or, but no, no, he was a normal man. But when he got baptized by John the Baptist, what happened? The God Spirit came upon him and at that point he became God. There, there was a teaching out back in the day. And then he stayed God until when? Until he died on the cross and the God Spirit departed from him and he died as a normal man. Now, you might sit here and you might go, no, that's not right, and it is not right, it is false. That's not what happened, that's not what the Bible teaches, but it was evident in John's day. Let me tell you, friend, it's evident in our day as well. People think he was just a man. They believe that when he said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me, is when that spirit, that God spirit departed, and from that point he was just a normal man. He died a normal man. My big question is then, why was he risen like a savior? And we can refute that so many times, but that's not what the message is all about. The question is, but how do we know that God that Jesus Christ is God. Now let's see what John says about it. 1 John chapter 5 verse 6. He says, This is He who came through water and blood. Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Not by water only, but by the water and blood. And the Spirit is He who bears witness. Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. There's the Trinity. And there are three that bear witness on the earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are into the one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God which He has testified about His Son... He who believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. You see that? There's a positioning taking place there. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he does not believe the record that God gave of his Son. So there's the evidence there, John says to us. Now I need to light something or highlight something out here. There is some teachers who believe that verse 8 shouldn't be in the Bible because if they go back to the earliest transcripts and so on, they say that it wasn't there. And back in the day when they wrote the Bible, they didn't have printing machines that printed it off like we do. They wrote the Bible out. And they believe, this is the story, that when one of the scribes sat there and he wrote it out in, in the, in the sidelines, he made a sideline note of understanding that verse, and he wrote it in there. And somebody else wrote it again, and they thought he wrote it out of place, and then placed it in as verse 8. Whether that's true or not, you know what I'm saying? That is for those people to sort out if they want to sort it out. But it's written in my Bible, and I read it as the Word of God. And you will see today that it fits perfectly in, perfectly in, the Word of God. It wasn't adding. So I'm by far not the final authority on that. But these verses here is some of the most debated verses in our faith, in our Bible, these verses. But here is one word that stands out for me so many times. What is the word? Come on, I'll put it in my color. What's the word? Witness. 
Because we said before, how do we know that Jesus Christ is God? John is so certain, Paul is so certain about Jesus Christ. How do we know this then, John? How do we know this, Paul? Well, we talk to the witnesses. Which this man who wrote this letter is one of those witnesses. He's an eyewitness. And the word witness there, the, the Greek word means to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something. Or that he knows it because taught by divine revelation or inspiration. That is what this witness is. Does John qualify? Absolutely. He says, I've been with Jesus. Does Paul qualify? Yes. He met him on the road of Damascus and then he went for three years into the desert of Arabia where Jesus Christ himself taught him. How wonderful is that? So here we find this witness now. What does he say? He says we witness something in heaven. What? The Father, the Word and the Holy Spirit. That is what we witness. And then he says we bear three that witness on the earth. Now whilst we are now on the earth, let's look at the earth witnesses. Shall we? The first witness that he's talking about is the water. You see that? He says in verse 6, This is he who came through water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. Now again, this verse here has been debated and it's the cause of so many breakups in relationships in, under the faith. So many. And we don't have to. We don't have to. Why? Because we take this as John says it to us. Some compare this water and blood to the blood and water that came out of Jesus' side when he hung on the cross. And there is so much written about it where some says, in this verse it says water and blood. But when you go to the account when Jesus hung on the cross, what does it say? It says blood and water. Blood came out first and water came out second. Friends, I'm not trying to read things into the Word. But let's look at this. Because there is three popular or there's a few popular views on this. On this water. The first view is the water is the Word of God. The Word of God. When he talks about water as a witness to Jesus Christ, it is the Word of God. And it could be because there's evidence in Ephesians 5.25. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. That is a sacrificial love. Now what did He do? He gave Himself to the church to do what? He says it right there, that He might sanctify, this is one of the words in the, in the new series we're going to preach in a few months' time, we're going to take out and explain to you what sanctify means. For short, it means to be set apart, okay? It says that He might sanctify and cleanse her with what? With the washing of water by the word. Husbands, listen to me. You wash your wife with the word. W what do you say? Does it mean that you go to her and go, Woman, thou shalt not bam the word of God. And whoa, bam. No, no. You don't use the word as that, as a beating stick. That's the best word that could come up in my mind right now. Beating stick. No, no. If you wash, what does it make? It makes it clean and pretty and beautiful. And some say this is what that water refers to. And, and you know what? It's the second there's a, a, a view out there which says the water is pointing to the natural birth of Jesus Christ. And it could be because if you think about Luke chapter 1 verse 31, it says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. This is to Mary when the angel appeared and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Yes? So it could point to that and then it's a water birth. You know, in, 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 in the womb is water. And then uh, they, they refer to that. And then we see the use of water in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus comes to him and he says, you must be born again. And he says, how can I go into my mother's womb? He says, no, by water and spirit. What does it mean? A natural birth and a spiritual birth. But you have to put these things in context, friends. And then the third view there which... I suggest might be the more, more one fitting here is the water point to the baptism of Jesus Christ. The baptism. 
In Matthew chapter 3 verse 16, and this is what I'm going to highlight out for you. And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straight out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lighting upon Him. And lo, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It doesn't mean at that point in time he received the God Spirit. No, no. Jesus Christ is God with us. He was God before that, but his ministry started from there. That's where his ministry started. Now it's understandable that when John says to us that Jesus is the Christ, one of the evidences on the earth is this particular thing that happened, that, that he came through the water. And what happened through that water? The heavens opened up. It was a supernatural thing that happened. And a voice came out of heaven and said, This is my son. How wonderful would that be to be there to experience that? And the only thing that separates you and me and experience that is what? Is time. Think of that. That's a concept which is a big concept to think. And I believe if we come to heaven one day, and not that we might want to do that, because we're going to be, I mean, if I say, if I think when we get to heaven, even those words are so shallow, but when we get to heaven, we will be so occupied with God and His beauty and His wonderfulness, that these things that we are talking about now will be done. We wouldn't go up there with a whole list of questions we ask and say, Now Lord, how did you do this? Now Lord, how did you, now Lord, how now? No, we will be caught up with God. But let me just say this, if we could say, Lord, can you please take me back to that day when Jesus was born in, 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 at Betabara in the Jordan River and the heavens opened up and the voice came from heaven. It's the only time that separates us. And then the second testimony here or the second witness is the blood. First of all the water and then the blood. In John chapter 12 verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled. This is Jesus the day before he was crucified. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He could have said that. Do you know that? And the Father could have sent 10,000 angels and destroyed the world. He said, could, shall I say this? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And see what happens now. This is close to when Jesus Christ was going to be crucified. What happened? Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Where? Where did he glorify it? At the baptism. That's when he glorified And when will he glorify it again? At the cross. At the cross. Again, there's people standing around. Again, there's this massive voice coming from heaven. It's not a thunder. For Some thought it. Let me read on. He says in verse 29, Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. That's all they could hear. And let me just frankly say, the ear, and I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. It just comes up in my mind. The ear is trained to what the ear needs to hear. For some people listening to sermons, to them it sounds just like noise, like thunder. Is it true? Before you came to the Lord, you didn't listen to sermons. You go, I'm not going to waste an, an half an hour of my time. He just he babbles on, you know. And some has got a loud voice, so it sounds like loud thunder. No, no, this to them, they sounded like the others said, an angel spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but of your sake. Why? Because he glorified God. That's why. So that is the testimony. The first one is the water. The second one is the blood. Who testifies that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the third one is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. How wonderful is that? Look at this. John chapter 15 verse 26. But when the Comforter is come... Whom I will send to you in my Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceed from the Father, He shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So who testifies of Jesus Christ? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies of Him. He's a witness. 
to, to uh, Jesus Christ. John 16, 14, He will glorify me, for He will take what of His mine, and He will declare it to you. That's what He will do. Now, how does this work? I think I've put my order wrong there a little bit. You've got a blank screen there. And let's put it in. So how does this work, you say? How does the Holy Spirit testify of Jesus Christ? We, first of all, testify with our spirit. This is how it works. And again, people in the world will not understand this concept. But, he, but Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Oh, so many people are living in this fear. This bondage. It's a bondage. Fear is a bondage. And Paul says to them now, You did not receive the spirit to fear again, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So, if we are children of God, do we believe that Jesus is the Christ? Absolutely. You can't be a child of God and not believe that. So how does the Spirit witness to us? First of all, with our spirit. He comes and He lives inside of us. And it says there that we receive the spirit of adoption and we cry, Abba, Father, through that spirit. The second way the Holy Spirit works with us as a witness is through the Word of God. How many times before you came to the cross did you try to read the Bible? Before you were saved? No, you start reading. No, you didn't even want to read it. I mean, let's, let's just go there. Because you were not interested. But then, I remember when I was a young boy. You know, I was, we were in the church. But I remember we had, in, in South Africa, we had a small house at the garage. It's called the Betakamer, okay? People who, who know what I'm talking about. But I remember as a boy going in there and putting out there, because I saw the ministers in our church and I stood there, I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. And then I opened up a Bible, but I couldn't understand anything but I preached I didn't know what I said but I preached I wanted to be a preacher back then 10 years old I remember that you know standing there in, in the beta camera in the small little outside at the garage and then I stood up there you know preaching something which I didn't know it was only when you come to the cross and be saved by the blood of the Lamb that you open up the Word of God and He starts opening up things to you. How many of you read the Bible and then five years later you read the same passage and you go, Whoa, now I understand it. Why couldn't I understand it last week? What is happening, friends? It's the Holy Spirit who opens it up to you. How many of you open up the Bible and you read a passage and it feels as if the Word is becoming bigger to you and it just stands out? How many? Did it happen to you? It happened to me. What makes it stand out? Is it all of a sudden something happening in your eye and you go, what's happening here? No, no, no. It's the Holy Spirit who opens up the Scriptures to you. That's the witness that we have. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Is that true? Is it true? Go and talk to some natural people about what you've heard this Sunday in church, what will they say? That's a lot of rubbish. Yes. But they wouldn't receive it, and I'm not surprised. I'm not going to get upset. My brother's singing in the streets, he's preaching in the streets. Some people will walk past and curse him. Am I right? Some people will laugh, and, and some people will, will show faces, and all of these kind of things. That's natural. That's natural. The Bible says that's natural. But friends, we are not just operating on the natural. We operate on God's supernatural. Okay? He says, For they are foolishness to Him, to that natural man. Nor can He know them. You see, that's not a certainty for them. Because they are spiritually discerned. The Bible is spiritually discerned, friends. The third way that it works is through fellowship. That's how the Holy Spirit works. He works through our spirit. He works through the Word and through fellowship. Did you know that? Did you know he works? Did you did you know it is important for you to fellowship with brothers and sisters? Do you know it's important to come to church? Did you know that? Did you know why? Why? You know we've got a saying in the world which says that uh, birds of a feather flock together. Well, I guess we're off the same feather sitting here this morning, aren't we? Of which feather are you? I'm of the feather Jesus Christ is Lord. Who are you of? Yes. 
So fellowship is also where the Holy Spirit works. In 1 John 1 verse 3 he says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you. Now where did he declare it to them? In a church. Remember back in the day they didn't have uh, iPads and phones and texts and, and Instagram, which I've heard the other day was down internationally, all world. I think a few people didn't know what to do with their lives for that whole day. Because, you know, get people on Instagram, everything happens in Instagram, and when it goes down, they go, oh, my whole life stopped. Even Instagram is not a certainty. <laughs> but we know Jesus Christ is a certainty, and you should shout, hallelujah! And here we find it, fellowship, he says, that we've seen, we've heard, we declare to you. But if you are not there when it's declared to you, you're going to be robbed. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now let me finish this morning with just one more thing. We talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And this is it. Look at 1 John chapter 5 verse 6. He says, this is He who came through the water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is He who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Anything in the world is pale in comparison to the truth of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is truth. Did you know there's three volumes of truth the Bible talks about? Three volumes of truth. First of all, Jesus Christ is truth. Do you know that? He declares it himself. He says in John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you study Jesus Christ as the truth, friend, let me tell you something. Your life is too short. You will not be able to comprehend it in all your life, even if you live to become 200 years old. He's a volume of truth. He says, I am the truth. Let me tell you, that's a certainty. We know this. May I ask you, do you know that? Jesus Christ is the truth. There's no lying. The second volume of truth the Bible talks about is the Word. The Word is truth. This is it. In John 17, 17, the high priestly prayer, he says, he prays Jesus to the Father, he says, sanctify them by your truth. What is the truth in Jesus? He says, your word is truth. Your word is truth. And when he uses the word there, he uses the word rima, which means your spoken word is truth, which he spoke. Jesus Christ spoke. What do you have in the New Testament? You have the word of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you today that the word is truth. You can open up this Bible anywhere, anywhere. It is the truth. It's a whole volume of truth. I said it to somebody a couple of weeks ago. I've met a, a pastor who told me about another minister who's been with a church for over 25 years. And he said, when they had a lunch together, that minister told him, he said to him, I don't know what to preach anymore. The Bible has become so small to me. I don't know what to preach. You know, 25 years with a church. And I go, what a privilege to be with a church for 25 years. You've got 25 years of your life to open up the word in Genesis and preach right through the Bible. And let me tell you, you can multiply 25 by 50 times and you will still not have enough to preach through the word of God. I mean, how long have we been busy with the letters of John now? We've, we've just finished part 12, 12 weeks on a letter of John. And I've only scratched the surface, friends. I, only, I, I don't want you to get, become bored if there's something like that in the Bible. But I don't want you to sit there and go, when are we going to get out of the book of John? And there I was thinking we're going to start when I come back from Thailand. We're going to start you know, preaching words. But then just last night when I opened this up, I said, Lord, it is so much deeper. Now we're starting a new series of five or six weeks talking about what? Certainties that we know. And let me say this. I am so confident... That if we finish in the next, that, that will be a five week series, okay, five part. 
I'm so confident if we stop there and we sit and we go, finally we have done, tick, one John, the letter of John, I can start the next Sunday again and do another series of 12 weeks. And you will every single time get something new. Why? Because the Word of God is truth. Do you know that? Do you stand on that? Do you believe that? This is a certainty. And then, the Spirit is truth. He says it right there. And the Spirit is He who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. There's the three volumes. Three volumes of truth. In 1 John chapter 5, we have two kinds of witnesses. Richard, can you just prepare you? My mom finished my last slide. Let's just look at this. He says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven. You see that? Who's they? The Father. It is the Word. Who's the Word? It's Jesus Christ. It uses the word Logos there. We find this word in one John, in John chapter 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 he says, That word became flesh and lived amongst us. And in verse 4 he says, in he, That word, you know what it was? It was light. And in the light was what? Life. All of these things. They are wonderful. And here we find the Father, the Word, and who? The Holy Spirit. They are witnesses in heaven. About whom? That Jesus is the Christ. Yes? This is a certainty. And then this verse, he says, there are three that bear witness on the earth. The Spirit. Do you know that Spirit now? The water and the blood. And these three are one. Saying what? That Jesus is the Christ. So I give to you again. 1 John chapter 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves Him, who begets, also loves Him, who has been born of Him. Amen. So, friends, brother, sister, ladies, gentlemen, Mr. Sir, let me say this morning, don't be like Benjamin Franklin. Don't just say there's two certainties in life, it's death and taxes. But this morning, have the certainty that there are so many more things that we know for certain. If your world is shaken, if your world has been grabbed and shaken heavily, stand on this certainty. What is the certainty? That Jesus is the Christ. And you've got witnesses who witness that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word.